I will never forget the first time I got to stay up with the grown-ups on Christmas Eve. After all the children had gone to bed. Before they trooped out, one of the men in the family always read the story of the night before Christmas. Then the children put a big glass of milk and a plate of cookies out. Because with so much work to do, Santa needed to keep up his strength. And after considerable discussion, they decided on just the right table for the milk and cookies. Then, with all the doors to the children's room closed and the entrance to the living room sealed off as well as could be, boxes of toys and games emerged from the tops of coat closets and from well-disguised hiding places in adult bedrooms. The same thing happened every year. There was always a toy or two that needed assembly, and the men set about the task laughing and joking. Then they stopped laughing. (laughs) Some nincompoop had obviously left out a screw or a washer or an essential bolt. The women, who'd been giggling and reminiscing about their childhood, suddenly turned their attention to the projects that were beginning to spread out all over the floor. And they were enjoying the perplexities. Finally, someone brought out the directions, and eventually, after a lot of good-natured jesting, the part that the nincompoop had left out magically reappeared. Tricycles. Bicycles and train sets emerged from the confusion. And then there were lots of congratulations, backslapping and oohs and ahs and anticipation about how delighted the lucky children would be. I remember laughing until I cried as everyone had all that fun going through the annual ritual. And just before we called it a night, My cousin John appeared as if on cue with a fancy package for his wife, Corinne. Now, Corinne is the family beauty and very chic. She always acted surprised and thrilled, although she knew very well that inside the package was an elegant dress from the big store in Dallas and that she would exchange it. No matter how well John researched the purchase, the dress never fit or suited Corinne. Now, we all knew that at some unexpected time, Corinne would appear in a different lovely dress, and we would tell her how pretty it was. She'd wink at us and smile and say, it was my Christmas present from Johnny. It never changed. Early on Christmas Eve, the doorbell would ring and a florist would arrive with my father's traditional red roses for my mother. One rose for every year since their wedding on Christmas Day in 1932. After their 50th anniversary and when my father had retired on his savings and social security, he cut it back to a baker's dozen. But... We all knew what those 13 roses represented. And however impatient and argumentative my parents may have been with one another, when those roses arrived, all irritations melted away 
and they embraced to our cheers and an eggnog toast. Homemade eggnog, by the way, with lots of eggs and cream and the egg whites folded in. Just the right amount of bourbon. On Christmas Eve, when he was in college, my brother and a cousin, Corinne and John's son, stole away unnoticed. They reappeared with loud poundings on the front door, both dressed in Santa costumes, shouting, Ho, ho, ho. Now that sounds simple, but with about 20 people gathered around, catching up on the news and in the sheer enjoyment of being with relatives who traveled a long way, that small prank and the fact that no one realized for several minutes who they were, that silly prank was transformed into a Christmas story that was recounted every year. My brother wrote about it this year in his Christmas letter. And how Daddy, in his innocence, came looking for him to make sure that Dwight didn't miss Santa riding bicycles with antlers attached to the handlebars. My Daddy was such a straight shooter. You know, he was just as innocent as a lamb, I swear. The joy of Christmas was the simple joy of being together with loved ones. Oh, there was a tree. And there were presents and lots of squeals of delight as we watched each person unratch each gift one by one on Christmas morning. Our uncle, the doctor, insisted that we all have a good, sensible, hot breakfast before opening any presents. And we children were not amused. My daddy always made a fresh batch of eggnog and shouted for the nutmeg, and we began opening our modest gifts. But the presents themselves were not the highlight. The highlight was the tradition and all the rituals and the hugs of thanks after every gift. The dinner menu was predictable. Turkey, cornbread dressing. That's yellow cornbread, folks. None of that white stuff, corn, yellow cornbread dressing loaded with onions and celery, and just a dash of finely chopped jalapeno pepper. Sweet potatoes mashed up and laced with lots of butter and flavored with orange juice and zest and topped with marshmallows sizzled at the very last moment. Biscuits or homemade rolls and a concoction of lasur peas in mushroom soup. Now, my grown children... And their kids expect or serve this menu. We used to have red jello salad with fruit cocktail or canned sweet cherries and pecans served on iceberg lettuce leaves on a big platter. Now, I didn't learn the significance of serving jello on festive occasions until many years later. You couldn't serve jello unless you had a refrigerator. To serve jello, indicated economic and therefore social status. Jell-O told the world that you could afford a refrigerator. There were and still are other holiday traditions in my family and several focus on food, as you can tell by looking at any of us. Last week, I proudly called my daughter to let her know I'd mailed a box to her. Parcel post, uninsured. I've been mailing packages with the U.S. Postal Service all my life. They have never lost a package I've sent. And sometimes, you all, I get a little defensive on behalf of the Postal Service. 
It delivers to cities, towns, isolated and rural areas, and is a target for so much abuse. Undeserved, I think. We pay less to mail letters and packages than any other developed country in the world. I've lived in parts of the world where you couldn't count on letters getting delivered, and packages that needed to be wrapped in muslin and stitched up and sealed with red sealing wax to discourage tampering. We take an awful lot for granted here in the land of plenty, the land of plenty for some. But I want to tell you what my daughter said when I told her the Christmas boxes in the mail. Quicker than you could say Jack Robinson, Marie said, but what about the Santarks and the Rumballs? All my pride that I'd sent the box off in plenty of time evaporated. They're coming, Marie. They'll be there. And what about the pound cake? That's coming too, Marie. Good. You know I'm counting on it. You know how we love them. Don't worry. I've bought most of all the butter and sugar in northwest Louisiana. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. It's a tradition, you know. Sand tarts are little crescent-shaped cookies about that big, patiently rolled and shaped, baked and tossed in confectioner's sugar. And I can tell you without reservation that my mother's recipe is the best in the world. Now, as for the rum balls... One, and a prima ballerina would throw away her career and become a reckless gutton. <laughs> the pound cake, it's good plain, with ice cream, with ice cream and chocolate sauce. It's wonderful any way you cut it. Then I called my son Robert to let him know that his family's box was in the mail. And guess what he said? <laughs> Did you send the sand tarts and rum bells and the pound cake? There were some large men in our family. Every Christmas, one of them opened a box and found a flesh-pink, old-fashioned corset strengthened with whalebone that laced up the back. It was a gift from the previous year's recipient. My cousin, Doc John, died seven years ago. He slipped and fell on a terrazzo floor and landed on the back of his head. Corinne is now 92 and in a retirement home, still wearing a size 6 and gorgeous as ever. My dad died suddenly 29 years ago, and mother followed him eight years later. But I remember the way she looked at him that last Christmas when the red roses arrived. He bent down to kiss her and said, as he always did, Remember what happened on this day in 1932, honey? I certainly do, you good-for-nothing rascal. <laughs> you see, even if it lasted only for a day or a few days, we all came together in good spirits, forgiving we set aside our grievances against one another, and Christmas meant renewal and a fresh, loving beginning. The first time I was away for Christmas, in October, 
I got a nostalgic and then a sad feeling. And that feeling got heavier and worse every day leading up to Christmas. I found myself feeling alone, even as I celebrated the holidays with my husband and his family. They were wonderful, wonderful people. But it just didn't feel right. They didn't have any traditions. I began to sense a kind of isolation and sadness that people who are truly alone must experience during the holidays. I didn't feel unloved, but I did come closer to understanding what feeling unloved might be like. Not good. Although my family were faithful Presbyterians and Baptists and went to church every Sunday, we never attended Christmas Eve services because we were doing that other stuff. I never experienced the kind of lovely ceremonies that we celebrate in our Unitarian Universalist traditions. Our holiday services here help fill an enormous void that I experience every year when I remember the Christmases of my youth. When our children were born, I set about recreating, as best I could, some of our holiday traditions and added some new ones. These days, Marie always browns and often burns to a crisp those marshmallows on top of the sweet potato casserole. Robert always lifts the turkey out of the pan and onto the platter and carves. We've dropped jello for green salad, but they always insist on those lasur peas with mushroom soup. We all still hang up our stockings that were made by my mother-in-law. She knitted every blessed one of them. And we sent out the milk and cookies, and Robert and Marie are teaching their children to make sand tarts and pound cake. A few years ago, we began a tradition of giving alternative gifts, donations to worthy causes in the name of a person. And the grandchildren really like it. They open an envelope and find a card that tells them that, tells them that in their name you've given a goat or some chickens to a poor family. Or a bunch of pencils for school children. We've adopted this tradition for adults as well. How about you all? What are some of the traditions that you have at Christmas in your family. Could a couple of you please share with us some of your traditions? I know I'm not the only one that's this goofy. Anybody have a story? Since Robert's uh, mother was Catholic, we always have a shrimp boil on Christmas Eve. Ah, a shrimp boil. That's wonderful. Great. Another one? What? Church on Christmas Eve. One more. Yes, Debbie. No matter where we are, if there's a piano, my stepdaughter always forces me to sit down and play the Ukrainian carols, carols of the elves. That is not Christmas to her, but I do that. That's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Blessings and joy to each and every one of you, and peace in the coming year.